This is out of bounds. This is Out of Bounds, your home for the weird, wacky, wild in the sports world on the Know Your News Network. I'm John Alba. That's not Mia O'Brien, very much so for a variety of reasons. That's Jordan Cooper. He is joining us here at Blender HD on Out of Bounds on Know Your News. What is going on, Jordan? I mean, it could be Mia. I mean, I've seen on TikTok they have those those filters. My wife showed me. Like, it goes, did, 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 did. And it's for like some odd reason, itself. she always turns into a guy. Oh, okay. Is, 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 is that TikTok saying that maybe she's not the best looking person? I have no idea, but <laughs> Who's that's what keep on doing. Who's to say? Well, I'm thrilled to have you. Jordan is uh, the co-host of the Theory of Pro Wrestling podcast with me, which you can go check out wherever you get your podcasts. And he's crushing. Why don't you tell everyone else where they can find you, Jordan? Well, you can follow me on Twitter at BlenderHD. I also do a show every morning at 11 a.m. on the Roto Grinders YouTube channel. So if you're into fantasy sports, sports betting, analytics math and statistics feel free to check check me out there every morning oh yeah it is the real nerdy stuff for the sports fan the fantasy sports players and the the gamblers as well i definitely have to get a little more in tune with that stuff especially as football season is getting ready to ramp up here mia is in nashville over at the sec media days this week so that's where she is keeping busy i know she will have no problem keeping up with the libations in check there as well. Nashville, Nash Vegas, as they're calling it these days, one of her favorite cities. Have you ever been to Nashville? No, I've been to Nashville. Roto Grinders, the, the show that I do, they're they're headquartered in Nashville. I've had I've had the chicken. You've had, had the hot chicken. I'm allowed, I believe. I believe I'm allowed to put barbecue sauce on chicken. If you would like to put the barbecue sauce on the hot chicken, go for it. That's fine by me. Um Nashville is just insane now. I've been to Nashville five times in the last two years. And I have no desire to go back for at least another two years. It's a cool city, but boy, howdy, is it a lot. I don't know what your thoughts are on it. I mean, you're from New York. How's Nashville a lot? It's, well, first, I okay, so there's a couple things. I'm not super into country music culture. I like country music, but not country music culture, if you're picking up what I'm putting down. And then... Uh, but for the food, I mean, you're a food person. I, mean, I am food a food person. great. I'm a foodie. There's no doubt about that. Food is good. It's also just so swampy and hot there, like, all the time. And I lived in Florida, so I can attest to that, too. Uh, it was a lot. But nonetheless, that's a little divergence here on Out of Bounds, where we try to keep things inbounds on the Weird Whacking and Wild in the sports world. Jordan, we open our show every single week with an opening toast. Uh, in honor of our national conversation, I'll be drinking some old smoky Tennessee salted caramel. And uh, I got to give everyone the ASMR. So stand by. There it is. What, uh, what are you indulging in here? I, I really don't drink much alcohol. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm more addicted to caffeine. Okay. That's healthy. So, so I got, I got myself a, a little Red Bull. Yes. Okay, well, uh, cheers to your first appearance on Out of Bounds, my friend. It's good to have you here. I know it's not your first appearance on Know Your News, but mm, still happy to have you. Mm -mm -mm. And down we go. Okay, excellent. Jordan, I don't know if you've heard, but people can get in touch with us here on Out of Bounds. You leave a super chat, 
either right there in the YouTube chat if you're watching on YouTube, or you go to kynchat.com and you leave your super chat there. We'll read your comment on air. That's how you get to interact with us live. Plenty of you leave comments all the time. We appreciate them, but it's the super chat that's going to get your comment on the air. And Jordan is someone who comes fierce with the opinions, and that's why, Jordan, I tee you up here on our first topic. This guy, Messi, one of the most recognizable names in the history of soccer. He has officially landed in MLS. He was introduced Sunday by Inter-Miami CF uh, head honcho David Beckham, who tearfully welcomed the Argentinian star to the league. Messi, of course, considered to be maybe the best player ever, certainly the best of his generation. But Mr. Soccer Guy, Mr. Cooper, will his arrival actually elevate MLS in America despite David Beckham's tears? I mean, the simple answer is no. I mean, that's, I mean, it. we've done this before, people. We've done this before, okay? We had Pele with the Cosmos, okay? Sure. We had David Beckham himself. We did. With the LA Galaxy. The thing that the notion, the, the question, I don't even like the question because it's not a soccer thing. It's an MLS thing. 100%. So that's why I said MLS, not soccer. Right, right. So soccer wise, we, we live in a, in a time now. 15 years, for the past 15 years, I've been watching Lionel Messi. I mean, I could watch Champions League is on ESPN or Fox Sports. You could catch La Liga. If he's plays for Barcelona, PSG, a little bit harder to catch the French league, but uh, you have access. Americans have access to truthfully more soccer than in most of the world. You go to England, a lot of times they don't have the, their own Premier League games on television because of blackouts. We've experienced Messi. Anyone that's into soccer has has seen him. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, they've done friendlies here in the United States. So it's not as much of a novelty anymore. Like Pele was a novelty. He plays for Santos in the Brazilian league outside of the major American tour and the major international tournaments, like the world cup. You, you couldn't see him on television. at all. And and the way that touring worked back then too, was a little different. I mean, teams literally went on like world tours essentially, which is just not how the system is set up anymore. Right. So like Dave and David Beckham, it's like, he was a little bit overrated as a player, more, more for highlights with his free kicks. But we have access to all this now that I don't think it's going to do much for MLS. I'm not even sure how you even watch MLS anymore. Isn't it under, like, Apple TV on now? Par- on Paramount. Okay, it's on Paramount now. Mm-hmm. To me, that's – to me, MLS, for it to be bigger or whatever, I mean, it's been around since 1995. Uh, the access needs to be better and – it needs to be marketed like the soccer is around the world. I think most Americans that soccer is a big sport here in the United States. It's yeah. just that people don't follow MLS. They follow either oh. Liga MX in the Mexican league or the premier league. Like MLS isn't, isn't special. I think part of the problem is in that regard, Jordan, that right now soccer is enormous in youth sports, right? It's massive for youth sports in America and the United States. The issue that I think at hand is America, the United States specifically, has never had an individual who has transcended the international stage in the same way that a Messi has or that a David Beckham has on that same level. There's no one – you've had great players, 
great players who have done very well overseas, but none of them have become international gigantic superstars at the likes of which that a Messi has or a Cristiano Ronaldo has. And because of that, you don't have someone who is this clear face of MLS that helps in turn elevate MLS to the level of the big four. Listen, the history and tradition is not there for MLS. That is for the big four. That's going to take time. That's going to take decades, even in the 30 years virtually that the league's been around. But I don't think that America has had that face of the game that has transcended onto an international stage, which is why I don't feel like it has caught on. And Messi's arrival is it's, it's important, Jordan. Listen, there are tangible metrics we can look at. He is moving tickets across the league, especially domestically there in the Miami market. That's a big thing that that is important. No doubt about it. But what is the sustainability in that? How long does that actually last? How far does that carry the league? How many international games are they going to have uh, showcasing these MLS talent that can then help provide more equity for your league? Well, I agree with the super chatter. We have a super chat. 2026 World Cup will do way more for soccer and tangentially MLS than Messi ever will. I completely agree. 2026 World Cup is in the United States. How I got into soccer was in 1994. What happened in 1994? The World Cup was in the United States. And uh, this past World Cup with the U.S. not making it, like that hurts more. Like MLS and the World Cup are tied. When the World Cup is on, that's when the casual fans, the Americans, will watch will watch their team and then pay attention to the other international superstars. MLS is not is MLS is not on that level. MLS is viewed by most people as a minor league soccer league that isn't worth paying attention to. And also, many Americans don't even follow club soccer. No. Like they don't it's it's to me, to them it's an international game. It's the United States versus England versus Australia versus Germany. So the Euros get more viewers than than the than MLS. The Copa, Copa America, the South South American games on Univision and Telemundo get more than MLS. To me, this is a closed league MLS problem that I don't think any Messi isn't. Yes, Messi's the greatest player ever, but he's not. He's not like exuberant. It's not. He's not a personality. He's just a great soccer player. Sure. So. I think if Pele couldn't do it and David Beckham couldn't do it, who are much more charismatic than Messi, like it's a nice, it's a nice novelty. Yes, he's going to push a bunch of tickets, but I don't think it has any sustainable path. I think the World Cup ten times more will matter. Yeah. Than Messi. And I also don't think it helps that there are any, there are no franchise in the. Let me rephrase that. There are no institutional franchises in MLS that transcend the league as a brand. And that alone is an issue. Then you combine the fact that this is Inter-Miami, a team that is still relatively new, all things considered. I don't think that that really enhances the value of the league, of the brand of the league at all, quite frankly, beyond a temporary boost, which this is not a bad thing. This is not a complaint, right? Like this is always good whenever you can land a superstar Nonetheless, maybe the greatest player of all time for your league. That's awesome, especially in a hot market for soccer. South Florida has a huge Latino population that absolutely lives and breathes soccer. And, and having an Argentinian superstar come in is fantastic. That That is undoubtedly great for the league. But I don't see a way in which this elevates it beyond the baseline that we have expected MLS to sit at 
inside the sports conversation within the United States. I don't ever see it getting more than the top of the A block of sports center more than a couple of times during the course of the year. And that's just, I think almost inherent to our sports culture, Jordan. Well, I think that you have the misconception of, of the soccer fan in the United States. And it's my biggest bugbear about the USSF and American soccer. You say that Miami is a good soccer market. It's actually a horrible one for American soccer. I'm saying as someone who has covered MLS specifically in Florida, I can only attest to what I saw firsthand. I saw fantastic soccer crowds in the United States, in South Florida, in Central Florida. Now, it wasn't always for MLS. That, there you go. Hurt. There, That's the but point. I didn't, say, I didn't say it was an MLS market. I said right. it was a soccer market. Right. And, and that's different. Uh, they, they come out in support of international friendlies that happen there, uh, especially, I can tell you, when Orlando was hosting a bunch of them as they were trying to make the bid for the World Cup. There is a market there, Jordan. It's just can MLS tap in? Yeah, but it's not a market for MLS. The the problem with MLS is that it's a franchise closed league in an international game where it's built upon communities. And I know there are big clubs now that are more brands than clubs, but you go you go to you go to Los Angeles and it's soccer's huge, but they're following they're following Club America. They're following they're following Mexican league teams. And that's their first team. Mm-hmm. And then they'll go to an LA Galaxy game as their second team. And until MLS could realize the fact that instead of them trying to be the first team for all these markets, be the second team and don't discount the, the fans that already exist. Like here in Louisville, we have we have a USL team. But I guarantee you there are more Manchester United and Liverpool supporters than there are for our local you know, Division Two American soccer team. But the reason why we're a success here is because our club has embraced support your support local, support local, support yeah. local. But we're not gonna say that we're better than the Premier. It's so funny. That's so funny that you say that. I almost and I I made this comparison maybe a couple months ago to someone. MLS franchises to me feel like small businesses. They feel like small local ma and pa shop restaurants. What MLS you mean? MLS, I'm saying compared to the international brands, like that's how. So when you support in Orlando City, you support uh, the New England Revolution. In in comparison, in periphery to the other big league sports teams in the United States, it almost feels like you're supporting local. Yeah, but that's the opposite. No, but no, the problem is that it's the opposite. The, the problem with MLS is that you're supporting McDonald's. At least when I support Manchester United, I'm supporting a club. It's the weird – It's soccer is the weirdest sport when it comes to the, the disparity between the United States and the rest of the world, right? You think the United States, you go, very capitalist, right? We're all free market, everything. And then our sports leagues are the most socialist yeah. <laughs> things. It's a closed league and right. – Draft pick, if you do bad, you get a, the highest draft pick. We have salary caps and everything. And then you go to Europe, where most people would think of like much more social, socialism, you know, mixed economies. And they're like, that's cutthroat capitalists when it comes to <laughs> soccer clubs. But that's what people are used to. So it feels like a lot of re- the reason why MLS has not caught on enough is that the soccer fan, 
I'm not talking about the sports fan, but the person that has already been into soccer doesn't, I don't feel a connection to, you know, when I was in New York to the Metro stars, because it's like, it's like supporting like your local McDonald's. Yes, it's owned by a local, you know, franchise holder, but it's still a, you're supporting the league, not the club. Yet everywhere else in the world, when you're supporting your local club, you really are supporting your local club. Metro stars. Nice little throwback there. Now, what's the old Seinfeld line? To, to you, maybe me and Mar, but it'll always be Burma to me. To you, they may be the Red Bulls. They'll always be the Metro Stars. I went to those games at Giant oh, Stadium. Oh, me too. Me too. I went to a couple Metro Stars games at Giant Stadium. Uh, that big cavernous stadium where MLS was not drawing a whole lot of fans to those games. At that time, it was a lot of red seats. More than anything else. I remember going to a couple Metro Stars games, actually. Heather O'Reilly, the U.S. Women's National Team star, uh, grew up in my hometown. And there was always a big presence for, uh, there were big pushes for Metro Stars tie-ins whenever she would do an appearance. And I remember going to a couple of those over the years. Uh, You bring up interesting points, man. I I just think, um, ultimately, I feel like I agree with you. Because World Cup fever is always so contagious right and then you add in the fact that u.s venues will be partaking in that that is an opportunity to harness that energy and there's more of an opportunity given the different media revenue sources to harvest that energy than there ever has been including back in 1994 when you had the world cup there Uh, but i mean ultimately do you feel we'll look back at this messy experiment as as a positive for mls I mean, it's not a negative. I'm just saying it's not as much of an effect as as people make it out to be. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it it's a big deal. He's he's probably the greatest player ever. Yeah, he's in the back part of his career, but you know, if I'm you told if you told win, though, it's true, true. But if you told me that, yeah, I got tickets in Columbus or something, and Messi's coming to town, like, I'll sure, I I guess I could go, but I'm not. It's not going to spur me to be more interested in MLS. Well, you're talking about capitalism, Jordan. Let me introduce you to the concept of New Jersey sales because LeBron James is certain to be handling a whole bunch of those. LBJ announced he's changing his number back from 6 to 23 in honor of the late Bill Russell. The number had been retired across the league after Russell died last year. But LeBron was grandfathered in and chose to rock it throughout the season. Now he's going back to 23. This is the third time in his career he'll be rocking number 23, which, of course, is retired by a lot of the league for Michael Jordan, as is. So, Jordan, I hate to be the censist. Is this just LeBron cashing in on a chance to maybe market some new 23 Lakers jerseys, or do you buy this as a sincere gesture from LeBron to switch back to 23? Well, my first question is the titles that he won, the championships, which number did he win them as? Six with Miami. And then he 23 with Cleveland. Okay. So maybe he's trying to mix it up or something like that. I mean, getting unlucky kind of, I mean, I mean, he won, he wanted a six with Lake with the Lakers in 2020. Okay. Well now he wants the 23 with the Uh, Lakers. Who knows? I I mean, dude, this is a guy that in 2010 had a television special called the decision and it was all marketed. It was, it was like what an hour and a half long, just on him coming out to say, is he going to play for the heat of the Cavs? (laughs) So I don't put it past him as 
Uh, yeah, a lot of people already have uh, Lakers-LeBron jerseys. Let me make a little bit extra money. Does he need the extra money? I don't think he needs the extra money. But I will never, I will never fall. I'm, you know, I'm very vocal on this podcast. I am all about putting money in the players' pockets. Because as I've made this point many times here on the show to some people's disagreements, players are millionaires. Owners are billionaires. Right. We hate billionaires. And we hate billionaires. And any chance, <laughs> any chance to give some power to the people and the people being the players in the league, even if it's LeBron, I'm all about giving them the opportunity to make the money that they got to go out. Is, and make is he making the money or maybe the Lakers are making the world? I mean, I would imagine that there's licensing agreements that go into play with the NBA players association, that he's going to be getting some sort of cut from any Jersey sale that he has, but it could, but, but you get my point. Maybe it's actually the Lakers that wanted him to change the number. Maybe, maybe maybe it's the Lakers who made the call for him to do it. That's very possible. Sure. Uh, But I don't think LeBron would be upset about picking up those new 23. You gotta, you gotta fuel the fire a little bit, right? You gotta introduce a little anarchy within the system and LeBron and the Lakers, they've had a fairly good off season. They look like they're in position right now where they could make a run once again. They did a fantastic job at the trade deadline last year to retool and reboot. And, uh, you know, there's there's something very nostalgic for me, Jordan, about that number 23 jersey on LeBron. But how about the other guy that wore 23? That guy was decent, too. Do you, do you think when, when Michael Jordan put on the 45 jersey that that was a marketing ploy? Well, they had, the league had retired it. Well, the the... Bulls had specifically retired it for him. And he said, I don't want to take my number out of retirement. So I'm going to wear 45. He didn't play well as 45. He said, screw it. I'm going back to 23. I would imagine that at the time there were probably some financial incentives to trying something else out. But I think he also probably was trying to reinvent his brand identity a little bit, right? Well, was this was after kind of like the gambling scandal or something i mean this is after he played baseball it was after baseball right i mean this is this is this is him going to the wizards i mean no right i mean but he then he went there and that was 23 there he was 23 there okay well because he could be 20 because 23 wizards jerseys they didn't sell those no they didn't at at some point you, you have to admit at some point he played for the bulls long enough that anyone that wanted a 23 michael jordan jersey probably had one right Right, so let's put it at forty-five, and I don't know. Do do, do do people like to do they think this way? I I I get the sense that you get to a certain point with the amount of money that you have, right? Because these these are guys that are beyond rich, where it could just simply be superstition of like maybe I just played sure. better under twenty. I mean, well, and keep in mind, Kobe switched from eight to twenty-four with the Lakers. That was this is not an unprecedented move for a Lakers superstar to do. And he won titles as both number eight and number 24 in that Lakers jersey. So they're hanging both of those jerseys up there in the rafters of, the, of almost at the Staples Center. Don't want to say that anymore. Crypto arena. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, man, I mean, I totally see this as a way uh, for both marketing. And, and look, I, I want to I like LeBron a lot. I know there's a lot of LeBron haters out there. I do believe that there is some true sentiment to him wanting to honor Bill Russell. He did the one year with it after the league retired it. I think there is some good cause here to say. Sure. I mean, but I mean, it could also be the type of thing that he wants as many numbers retired for him as possible. I mean, look at the Yankees. 
right? It's very hard to, dude, they're going to get to a point where no Yankees players could have numbers anymore. Dude, the whole Monument Park thing, I'm about it. I love Monument Park. But when I see guys that played for four seasons or five seasons, even if they were very impactful seasons, getting their numbers retired, and they weren't like even the star of the team, there's a problem to be had there. There's certainly a problem to be had. Aaron That's Judge, from you're a Yankee fan. Oh, yeah. Aaron Judge was given 99 out of spring training because it was just like, ah, whatever. You know, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get that number back at some point. What, what, what? what players have their numbers retired that you don't think should for the Yankees? I'll pull up the entire list if we're going to go to this. Route. Is Paul O'Neill's number retired? Yes, Paul O'Neill's. Yeah, that's one retired. where I would be like, I don't know about that. Um, let's see here. Pulling them up. It's loading as we speak. All the single digits. Yeah, all of them are gone. For the Yankees. Um, okay. So, <clears throat> Bernie Williams, number 51, is retired. Okay, that that's acceptable to me. Ron Guidry's forty nine is retired. I'm accept. I, I could accept that. You could be down with Louisiana Lightning. Yeah, I can. And- I, I mean, it's on the border, but yes. Okay. Andy Pettit's forty six is retired. I could. I could buy that. You you're buying it. Okay. Jorge Posada's number twenty. That's a that's an iffy one. That's an iffy one, right? And I love Jorge. Love yeah, Jorge. me too. Me too. But I yeah. it, should it be retired? I don't know. Uh, you said Paul O'Neill's. Yeah, I, I think that's a strong. I view Paul O'Neill more as a Cincinnati Red than a Yankee. I view him as a Yankee, but and and a great Yankee, worthy of the number retiring. I'm I'm not entirely sure about that. Uh, Casey Stengel, obviously, um, Mariano Rivera, Reggie Jackson, Elston Howard, significant, you know, good good Yankee, great Yankee. I don't know, but significant to the franchise. Don Mattingly, Whitey Ford, Thurman Munson. Phil Rizzuto, Roger Maris. Okay. See, that's the funny thing about Roger Maris. Roger Maris, yeah, he got his MVP award and everything with the Yankees, won World Series. But there was not a lot of sustained dominance for Roger Maris, the New York Yankee, at all. He's not a Hall of Famer. He had, I know we're totally on a tangent here. <laughs> We've totally divulged into something totally different. But uh, he had a very okay Yankee career outside of 1961, where everything was different. Uh, you got number eight retired two times for Bill Dickey and Yogi Berra. Mickey Mantle, seven. Joe Torre, number six. Are you about retiring manager manager's numbers? numbers really? Yes. They retired his number. Does does he even Did he even wear a number when he managed? Yeah, yeah he wore number six. Do, is that normal? Yeah, managers wear numbers. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know that. Mm-hmm. Yep, managers wear numbers. That's a little, if that, I don't know, coaches numbers? And, it was, a, numbers. and it, was a, it was a single digit, too. Taking one away. Number five, Joe DiMaggio. Four, Lou Gehrig. Three, Babe Ruth. Two, Derek Jeter. Number one, Billy Martin. Billy Martin was a manager as well as a player. Yeah, yeah, so. I guess so. Yeah, I don't know. I I think there's like three or four there that you could be like, eh, I don't know about that. Because anyway, are we putting triple digits on on jersey soon? Not just not? Yankees. Any any other place? Are we are we squeezing the font just a little bit? I don't know. Just think about that. Uh, we will continue. You want you want to talk managers? We can talk managers. We'll talk managers because I know you're fired up here about Joe Torre. I'll fire you up about this. This this was great here. Okay, David Bell, great ejection this past week. The Reds were leading one nothing in the bottom of the second inning yesterday. Spencer Sears strikes out 
and he's looking at a pitch on the inner half of the plate. Bell couldn't believe the call. But keep in mind, the Reds have lost like five in a row at this point. Couldn't believe the call. He rushes out from the dugout to argue with the home plate umpire, Edwin Jimenez. He was almost immediately thrown out. Like the second he stepped out of the dugout steps, he's thrown out. So he's like, screw it. I'm going to make the most of it. He goes to the plate and he draws an imaginary strike zone around it to demonstrate his case. I love stuff like this. The TV production crew, Jordan, was very Kevin Dunny, and they cut off of it the moment that it was happening. But it was awesome. Crowds going nuts. We love when the crowd gets all amped up over an ejection. So I got to ask you, what is your favorite managerial ejection of all time? If you have one in particular, or if you want to just give me someone you enjoyed watching perpetually get ejected, I'll, I'll accept that answer too. No, no, there's one that it, the one, there's one that takes the cake over yeah. all others by far. End of story. I was a big fan of like Earl Weaver had a bunch of good ejections. Lou Pinella, he was always animated. Uh, who else? We got uh, Lou Pinella. Lloyd McClendon had one that was that was oh, yeah. Bobby Valentine with the yep. with the the glasses coming back out with the disguise on. Yep. He Billy got Barton, obviously, right? We were talking about him. By far, you have to look this up on YouTube. You probably already know. Uh, it wasn't in a major league game. It was in a minor league game. It was in 2007. Yep. Mississippi Braves manager, Philip Wellman. Yep. It was a game in Chattanooga against the lookouts. He's arguing balls. He's arguing balls and strikes. So obviously he gets thrown out immediately. So that's, that, that's rule book. You get thrown out. Uh, after arguing with the home plate umpire, he goes and gets down on both knees and takes all of the dirt and totally covered. Normally, we see the managers kind of kick dirt on the plate. No, he goes and takes mounds of dirt and covers <laughs> the entire plate. And then he draws an, a humongous plate around it just to highlight what the, the umpire strikes on apparently ha- is now. <laughs> right? Does that. Yells more at the plate umpire. Then he goes to third base. He digs up third base, grabs third base, chucks it into the outfield. Eats it. Yeets it completely, and then in the infield grass, gets down on all, on, on all fours, does an army crawl behind the mound to the resin bag, and then chucks the resin bag like a grenade at the home plate umpire's feet. Gets up, yells some more, grabs second base, take play, takes it out, and then goes out the bullpen outfield fence. That there's no, there's no, I don't, I. You've seen all of those things individually in some, some you know, tirades, but not all combined. And especially the thing with the army crawl and the grenade with the resin bag. That one, to me, is an all-time. Oh, yeah, it is an all-time. I would argue that that is probably the most prolific manager rejection of all time. Because he embraced the theater of it. What else is going to happen at this point? He has been taken away from this game. I'm going to wreak havoc on my way out. I'm all about that. And plus... Sports are ultimately entertainment. We go for the entertainment value. It's minor league baseball. Every gimmick possible happens in minor league baseball. You go to a game expecting something fun, and then you see something like that. Uh, It is an iconic clip. If you have not seen this, go out of your way to watch it. I wish I could play video on here because I would play the whole thing for you. Uh, That is probably the best one. I think my favorite one, you talk about the Cincinnati Reds and the Paul O'Neill era. Lou Pinello is amazing at ejections like he was also a prolific manager ejectee 
And there's the one in 1990. I, I think the exact date I was looking at up earlier was August 21st, 1990. He is pissed off about a call, gets ejected, storms over to first base, uproots it, and just tilt the world launches it into the outfield. I love Lou Pinella's fiery candor. I felt that Lou never really got his true flowers in baseball. I would have loved to have seen the second half of his career have a championship. 2001, he had a real chance with the Mariners. They were maybe the greatest regular season team of all time. I love that he embraced his personality. If you remember when he was managing the Cubs, he got ejected a bunch, and there was that one commercial where uh, they, they spoofed one of his ejections, and you hear him like arguing with the umpire, but it's not about baseball. It's about like car insurance. Like I think that that's great. Anytime you embrace that, I'm putting Lou Pinella there up as among probably my favorite there, Jordan. Well, I used to umpire. So I mean, yes. when, when I, I did, so what's the I threshold? Didn't... Tell me, what's the threshold? How far would you need to be pushed to reach the status of ejecting someone? Okay, well, there, there, there's, there's a precedent. First off, if you're, if you come out to argue balls and strikes, it is a rule book ejection. Okay, like there's no, there's no, like you could jaw jack me from the dugout to a certain point, but you cannot. It's in the rule book. You cannot come out and argue balls and strikes. That's why you see those immediate ejections because it's we're not going to waste time on these judgment calls. They, they can't be they can't be overturned. It's a waste of time. Uh, typically, from what I've learned, and obviously, when you're doing youth sports, the threshold is going to be much lower because you know you're dealing with kids, and the parents and the managers shouldn't be doing certain things that look bad upon them. So the threshold is going to be much lower. But in the college, in the high, varsity high school, like, as long as you're not insulting me personally, like, person, I mean, you could be pissed off all you want. But once you, the threshold is, is like, once you talk about my mother and once you talk about, <laughs> you know, or threaten, we're going to get you after, and we're going to find you in the parking lot. Type of thing. You're, oh, yeah. I've, I've, I've been, atta- I've been attacked. Uh, with a with a aluminum bat before what now they didn't now the manager didn't didn't get to me because they held him back but he literally grabbed an aluminum bat and charged home plate over what over it was uh i threw out one of his one of his uh uh players this was like a, a 15 16 year old babe ruth league game it was a tournament game uh they only fielded nine players because they didn't have for some reason, you know, some of these because it's a it's a it's it's travel ball. They may only have a roster of like thirteen, and not all these, you know, sixteen year old kids can make every game. So this this kid was arguing balls and strikes every at bat with me, and then eventually in his third at bat, I warned him after a second at bat to you know watch his mouth. And the third at bat, he swung at some pitch that was like two feet outside. And then he he threw his bat and he said and said look what you effing did you stupid idiot you know like whatever like oh that so I, so I so I chucked the player and because he got ejected they only have eight players which means they have to forfeit the game huh so the managers yeah, now the managers over here just snap of the finger they're done right, right. <laughs> so they were they were up like probably a couple of runs and, and they had oh to my goodness the game. you cost them right I cost them and that, apparently it's worth. And this is okay. Let let's put this into perspective. The manager was in his mid forties. 
I was 16 years old. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> this is my first year of umpiring when I was 16. You're 16, and a 40-year-old man is charging at you with a bat. Yep. For ejecting one of his high school players. Right, a player that's of the same age as me. Oh and I was 16, and I look 13. So I understand, like, I, I look young. You, you strike me as someone who probably had a baby. But of course, just... I was part of an umpire's association. I mean, this... Like I was a legitimate credentialed umpire. Sure. So, so the the my partner, my base ump, the base umpire, who was like in his forties or fifties, he's the one that had to hold hold back. Once he saw the the manager coming out of the dugout with with the bat, he ran, and he was a big guy. He was like a six foot four, two fifty pound guy, and he basically tackled him. In hindsight, do you feel you made the right call? Of course, I did. <laughs> <laughs> Man, listen, I can't imagine being an umpire has got to be so difficult because I also feel like there's so much of the human element in an umpire versus many other sports. It is just the, the narrow difference in, in centimeters, in millimeters between a ball and a strike. And then there's the conditional element of it where not all fields are the same, not all strike zones are the same. That's that is a, a really difficult job to do. But you well, can't one thing that's consistent, though. That when people argue, you know, online and the umpires are bad and blah, blah, blah. There, from my experience and my own personal feeling, there are no, there are no people in the world that are more passionate about the game of baseball than the umpires. I would probably. They're, they're there for the game. They're, they're representing the history of Major League Baseball. And these are people that obviously were not athletic enough to compete themselves, this is the way that they contribute to their passion. I mean, they're on the road as much as the players are. Right. Yeah. And you can argue that an umpire has just as much jurisdiction over the history books as a player does in some circumstances too. Right. But also your, your goal sometimes is to not be part of history. Of course. Oh, dude. I, I mean, I've said this. I've never been more sick in my life as I was with the Jim Joyce, Armando Galarraga blown perfect game. That was the most ill I have ever felt watching a sporting event. And I had no vested interest whatsoever in this game. I could not have cared less which of those teams won. It was Cleveland and Detroit and having a perfect game ripped from the tome of baseball history because of a blown call was brutal, but I did like how they atoned it afterwards and they made amends and Jim Joyce owned making a mistake it's just funny because that would have never happened now with the way the game is now you would have had replay review and that'd have been it perfect game would have ended on a replay review right that's that we want all the pauses for instant replay now yeah i'm 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 with you on that let's get one more baseball topic in here jordan this is a this is a fun one so christian encarnacion strand is going to make his debut for the reds this week staying with the cincinnati reds and when he does he will become the longest full name on record in Major League Baseball history. 27 characters in his name. Again, his name is Christian Encarnacion Strand. There's a hyphen in there, too, which counts as a character. So I ask you, Jordan, what is your favorite athlete name of all time? Lay it on me, my friend. Get as wild and wacky as you want. This is out of bounds. We keep it weird, wacky, and wild. I have a whole bunch of them. Let's hear them. Oh, my, my, I, 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 I'm as a stand-up comic. I like, I like dick jokes. 
Okay. Okay. So I found I found I found them all. Okay. okay. So so I want to start this little story with uh, a Scottish right back from Motherwell in the 1920s. His name was Dick Little. Okay. okay. Not a very not a very good name. But after that, if you start with the Dick Little, you could go to the AFL defensive back from the Patriots in the 1960s, Dick Felt. You start with the Dick mm-hmm. Little, then you then you get some Felt. Mm-hmm. And then maybe that turns into the AFL quarterback from the 1960s, Dick Wood. Maybe, maybe it turns into the MLB pitcher from the Red Sox in the 1970s, Dick Pohl. Dick Pohl, okay. Maybe you take a Dick Gamble. He was a left winger for the Canadians in the 50s and 60s. Once you take that Dick Gamble, you, you go for a Dick Pound, the Canadian swimmer from the 60s. Maybe you do that enough that you get a Dick Shiner, the quarterback in the NFL from the 60s and 70s. And after that, hopefully, the American race car driver from the 60s, you get a Dick Trickle. And once that's done, you become the, the, the uh, defenseman in the WHA. You enter Dick Paradise. <laughs> now, I, now, I told you the story with the Dicks. I could, I could have told you a much shorter one mm-hmm. by putting together the NBA shooting guard from the Bullets the English cricketer from the 1890s and the outfielder for the White Sox in the 1980s and told you a story about the chubby Cox and the Harry Butt and the Rusty Kuntz. It, okay, I know you're going to say Rusty. It's Rusty Kuntz for the record is how it's pronounced, <laughs> okay? But it is spelled in a way that would give, lead you to believe that, yes, it is pronounced as that, but it is Rusty Kuntz. Uh, I, I was a big fan of the old college football player for Florida State. I believe he made it. I believe he made the NFL. Uh, Crefonso Thorpe, spelled C-R-A-P-H-O-N-S-O. Crefonso, of course, short, crappy, uh, crappy Thorpe. Uh, I was also a big fan, and and I'm partial to this one, Jordan, because I got to cover him and I got to know his family a little bit. I'm a big Taco Fall fan. How can you not love Taco Fall? Is it supposed to be Taco? Taco Fall? No, it's Taco. Taco? It is Taco. T-A-C-K-O. Taco. Taco. It's Taco time, baby. And the fact that he was seven foot six added to his legend. Uh, this is a true story. When we would do media availability with Taco Fall, they would sit him down in a chair while everyone else stood, and we were all still looking eye to eye with him. It was insane. So you combine that with the legend of his name, Taco Fall. I think that's one of my all time favorites, even if it's not quite as dirty. As some of the ones that you Sorry are. Sorry for getting so dirty. Oh, I'm okay with it. I'm, I'm... I, was I out of bounds? You were not out of bounds. You were <laughs> well within the parameters of what I teed you up. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm all about that, man. I think there's a, I think there's a lot of great names out there, great athlete names. Were there any others that? I, I, I like the, cla- the, the classic old school type of baseball names, like, like Coco Crisp. Coco Crisp is an all-timer. Right. Or you have like Milton Bradley, like the board game. Sure. That's another good one. You a catfish hunter fan? Okay. I mean, but that's a nick that's more of a nickname. I, I get that, but still that was right. Jim Catfish Hunter. D- Dizzy Dean. Dizzy Dean, sure. Mm-hmm. Uh Oil Can Boyd. Right. Well, Dennis Boyd. I, I mean, mm-hmm. these are I'm trying to find the names that are like obviously the Dicks are Richards. I mean, we we we, sure. we kind of that's a, that's the yeah, I'm sorry, that's easy. Poke, Pokey Reese. Pokey Reese? Pokey Reese. Right, I have, a, I have a couple that I that I left out. Okay, there, there were two baseball players. One called Steve Schartz, 
Nope. And Scott Sharts. <laughs> okay. And they weren't brothers. <laughs> How about from the Philadelphia Phillies, 1915 to 1916, Bud Weiser? Oh, Bud Weiser. Oh. <laughs> uh, there's, there's a, I'm a the soccer player, a, a Fabian Assman. <laughs> that exists. I was a big Boof Bonzer fan too. Okay, that's a good one. Boof Bonzer, Quinn uh, Quinn McCracken is always one. Um, you know, iconic, iconic American turned Japanese baseball player, and at one point the single season leader for home runs in Japan in the MPL, Tuffy Rhodes. We love me some Tuffy here. We're getting tough with Tuffy. Uh, there's there's some good ones even in the chat. I see Jared Saltalamakia. I was always a big Jared Saltalamakia fan, too. Uh, please let us know. Leave a super chat. What your favorite names? I'm gonna give you one more shot here, Jordan. Any others that you'd like to add to the list? Well, it's, since I talked about the dicks, I I don't want to I don't want to only deal with American no. sports. But how about the Chinese gymnast that uh, you know won at the Olympics uh, in the trampoline event, Dong Dong. Dong dong, double dong, double D. That is his name. That is. I'm not making. I, fun I, I, I'm not. Name. I am not denying that that is his name. I'm. I went to high school with a kid named George George. How about that? <laughs> what goes through someone's parents' mind where if their last name is George and they go, let's just name him George Olson. I, I'm. I'm pretty sure. I can't remember if it's Manny or if it's Pedro. I think it's Manny. Manny Ramirez named both of his sons Manny Ramirez. Both of them. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure. I think it's Manny named both of his sons after him. <laughs> so Manny Jr. and Manny the Third. Well, no, Manny the Third would be the so son. Of Manny the Jr. son, right? So both sons are. I would imagine they have different middle names, but both of the names. I'm pretty sure it's Manny. How much of an ego do you have to name both of your sons your own name? I'm I'm pretty sure. Yeah, okay. Manny Ramirez had not two. Ready for this? Manny Ramirez has three sons, all named Manny. Um, uh, doesn't George Foreman also did something like that? Um, Is George I, Foreman's kids all named George also? So Ramirez has three sons. Manny Ramirez Jr., born 1995. Manuelito Manny Ramirez, born in 2003, and Lucas Ramirez, who they call Manny. <laughs> oh, I found it. George Foreman has 12 children. Okay. Five sons and seven daughters. His five sons are all named George. Unbelievable. This is the greatest <laughs> night in the history of our sport. I love it. I love it. Jordan, it is time before we wrap up here to get to the beast of the week. I want to know who is the most beastly for better or for worse in the sports world, in your opinion, this week. I think Steph Curry hitting that hole in one. You're going with Steph Curry. Steph Curry, for those who missed this. 18-foot putt for Eagle on the final hole to win the American Century Championship Sunday. His first title in a celebrity tournament. He made a hole in one on Saturday. This guy... I mean, what else is he going to conquer, Jordan? What's next for this dude? Well, I'm not shocked with the hole-in-one. I mean, he sinks like half-court shots in basketball. Yeah. 
So as long as you give him a ball and a hole, I think he could beat anyone. Cornhole? Cornhole. Yeah, he should be playing court. Any anything involving anything involving a ball and a hole. I know I was talking anything. about sexual innuendo anything. before, but I mean a sport. I mean a sport with a ball and a hole. I think I think he'll do well. Golf, basketball. He'd probably be good with like the home run derby when you know it's like hit it here and win five hundred thousand dollars. He's got the range. He's got the accuracy. I mean, this dude is a once in a lifetime. Kind of athlete, is he not? You know, it would be weird if he was bad at skee ball. <laughs> <laughs> he was just sitting there while teammates are like having all the tickets, and he's like sitting there with like one little ticket. It's very frustrating. He's like overshooting the because the, <laughs> skee ball, if you throw it hard, you end up with the least point values. So you got to be a little more strategic there. It would be weird if he was bad at it and Shaquille O'Neal was great at it. Uh, you know what? I could buy that. I could buy that. I think there's some validity to that. I got to go over to the tennis court for mine, man. Carlos Alcaraz defeating Novak Djokovic, 1-6, 7-6, 6-1, 3-6, to win Wimbledon. Obviously, Djokovic won four in a row. Amazing. The crowd reaction was truly incredible to this. The crowd wanted to see Djokovic lose. Like, they were ready. I think Djokovic has kind of taken on a little bit of a heel roll in recent years in, in uh, tennis and I think they were ready to see a change they got it a 20 year old doing it it reminds me a little bit of Rafael Nadal when he won his first big one I believe his first big one might have been the French I'm pretty sure and uh it was you recognize there was this changing of the guard and now with Federer out with Nadal on his way out with Djokovic on the back end it almost feels like the end of an era is truly upon us in tennis and it was an amazing era driven by sustained dominance for stars and it makes you wonder who's next like golf has really struggled with that jordan and in the post tiger era of figuring out who are the next faces of the game you get guys who come so close but they're not consistent enough to quite claim that and i'm curious to see if tennis is able to avoid that problem well i mean it's a very impressive i mean Djokovic had 34 straight matches won on grass I mean, the dominance is is ridiculous, especially okay. to, right as as, as in Wimbledon, and you could tell after he won when Alcaraz was talking that I think Djokovic was almost even like happy, just like like he doesn't need to, he yeah. doesn't need to do anything more, and it's like the kid deserved the win, yeah, right. I mean, he's one of the best players in the world. We're, we're t- it's not like I know yes, not he was an right. underdog, not but strong. like no. like he's it's not like he was an unranked player no. from that no one's ever heard of no. or anything. So I, I agree with you. It's very very similar to, to like pro wrestling. Of it's almost like the the veteran gave the rub to the like on Put the way over. out the territory, right? Like that Put type of over. thing. Put him over. I love to see it. Uh, fun stuff here, Jordan. Remind everyone where they can find you. Well, if you want to talk about pro wrestling, me and the guy with the good hair over here next to me, right? We do we do a show once a week. Theory of pro wrestling. Go check it out on YouTube podcast wherever you get your podcast wherever you get your everything and then uh 11 in the morning on the road to grinders youtube channel if you want to learn more about uh, nerdy fantasy sports stuff i'm there every morning great stuff jordan cooper thank you everyone who tuned into this edition of out of bounds on the know your news network we will see you next time roses are red violets are blue i click the subscribe button you really should too if you like videos about real news stories that are funny stupid or weird subscribe now 